Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So uh, today we're in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 17. And in chapter 17, we are coming toward the end of things. We have uh, in this chapter, the harlot and the beast. Verse two says this, the kings of the earth <clears throat> committed sexual immorality with her and those who live on the earth become became drunk and uh, on the wine of her sexual immorality. Now, stop right there. Um, it says this this harlot is sitting on this beast uh, and she is covered with blasphemous names. And in, with this inscription uh, uh, written on her head, it says Babylon, the great, the mother of the prostitutes and of the detestable things of the earth. Uh, she is drunk off the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. And uh, yeah, I think what we must say about this harlot is uh that this again is highly highly symbolic right so there's not going to be a woman riding on a horse at the end of time who is going to mess with us right uh babylon if we remember uh was one of the most ruthless nations in israel's history and they took israel into captivity right and and they were this pagan godless ruthless nation that hated god and his people right and and, and they are used as an archetype right even in the old testament um to describe other pagan empires throughout scripture's history and throughout history that are analogous to them and that operate like them right and so babylon has this kind of like um semantic flexibility i should say where it can mean uh, uh different empires that correspond to the original babylon right and one of the things that is instructive about the harlot is that she is seductive right and she is alluring and turning people away from christ now it says that the peoples will commit some sec uh, uh will commit sexual uh, immorality with her now it's interesting uh that they use that language because um that is highly symbolic so it's really literally not a person going to come back that people actually have intercourse with right but what, what it is saying is it's taking language from the old testament remember in the old testament when god would talk about how his people were um worshiping idols he would say you prostituted yourselves with idols and so what, what, what the Lord was saying was that you have committed this spiritual adultery. And so the same language is, is used here, that these pagan nations that are uh, 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 run on military and economic power and political influence and power that people prostitute themselves with, that people uh, basically worship. Right. These are the ones who have. Um, yeah. Like compromise. And so this sexual immorality language makes sense. The 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 the, the um, adultery language makes sense because again we are to be uh, the bride of Christ, right? Um, and so yeah, he he goes on, and again, uh, uh, this this figure symbolizes these uh, uh, not just um, a specific nation though, a, a a culture right of sensuality, of darkness and perversity, generally speaking, right, and ultimately rebellion against the God of the universe. And this imagery again points to, uh, like I said, the other nations in the Old Testament. And some have even argued that Jerusalem itself became this way, right? Um, and so uh, she is riding on the beast. That's very important. So she is riding on the beast. So she represents all of these uh, secular uh, uh, societal uh, anti-God values riding on the beast. So they are connected, right? And these folks who prostituted themselves, again, are intoxicating themselves into a slow death, right? With things like uh, uh, oppression, power, sex money drugs the whole nine yards and um yeah the 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 funny thing is is that the beast that she's riding on actually devours her so what does that teach us it basically says to give our lives and our worship um to these sensual and material and earthly idols uh to to, to, what, to what john calls in other places the ways of this world 
is to commit a slow and subtle spiritual suicide, right? Because she is going down, right? And we see that in Revelation 18, verse 7 says this, uh, she glorified herself and indulged her sensual and excessive ways, right? Goes goes to talk about that sensual sensuality, the the the, the wealth, the excess, the, the 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 materialism, the deception, all this stuff, um, and, and that is that that has been an influential in leading other people astray, right? And it says uh, Revelation is showing us that uh, living this kind of life alone is extremely short lived, right? So it says in verse eight, for this reason, her plagues will come in just one day, right? Death and grief and famine, she will be burned up with fire because the Lord who judges her is mighty. God remembers essentially the faithfulness of his people but also the wickedness of the unjust right as we see all throughout this book we see here this theme that is that is uh oscillating all throughout the scriptures of god humiliating the proud and exalting the humble and we see here the proud uh, being cast low and cast down and cast away ultimately as we'll see in chapters to come um and it says this the fruit you craved has left you all your splendid and glamorous things are gone they will never find them again. This is final, right? And it, and it will be too late one day to realize that their lifestyle was futile, right? And God is essentially saying, like, I hope you enjoyed it while it lasted, right? Um, and in verse 24, he keeps moving. He says, in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints, right? And all of those who slaughtered on the earth. Remember, I said that um, the symbolism of the woman uh, was, 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 was about, like, these cultures generally right the, these kinds of groups societies and cultures generally and we see here that god in defeating her um he he is not just providing punishment to the wicked but he is vindicating the righteous right because in her mouth was the blood of the prophets and the saints right and you say how is she vindicating the right or how is he vindicating the righteous because uh these cultures and societies and and, and peoples who live this way right um in union with the harlot have to exploit and oppress people in order to do so right to or in order to not always but in order to live in certain ways in this world oftentimes we have to exploit and and and, and do it on the backs of um the the downcast right right the, the those on the margins in society and um yeah you think about something as evil as this transatlantic slave trade was was a was, a, was an economic powerhouse right like it was it was big business people were making millions and millions of dollars billions of dollars right and in order to make that kind of money in order to satisfy their greed right they had to literally uh uh yeah subjugate human beings and god is saying no no no. like i'm going to vindicate the righteous to show that god's people were on the right side of history so every evil will be uh atoned for right and made right every wrong made right and god is going to avenge their blood and fight for them eternally right this again reminding you the context he is speaking to persecuted christians right so they need to hear and know these truths 19 comes this causes rejoicing and look what he says he says hallelujah hallelujah save salvation glory and power belong to our god because his judgments are true and righteous because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands remember in the ot we have to think with the whole bible mouth salvation was often thought of as being saved from one's enemies here at the end of time we have the saints rejoice rejoicing that this has taken place right hallelujah is the leading motif of the front part of this chapter and throughout the rest of the chapter we have this vision of the return of christ 
on the horse, right? Coming to defeat the beast and the prophet. And and, and, and we have like a lot of the imagery uh, coalescing here uh, uh, in chapter 19 that we've seen throughout the book. So we have this great final uh, judgment, right? Um, the defeat of, of Satan himself, right? It says this in verse 11. Interesting. He says, then I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. It's writer called faithful and true. And he judges and makes more war with justice. So God through Christ is bringing justice. His eyes were like a, f a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. <laughs> Listen at verse 13. He wore a robe dipped in blood. Mm. Now, this is before the battle, <laughs> right? So in other words, he's trying to say that, hey, before the battle even starts, he has uh, 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 blood on his robe. And he's trying to show us the image that he showed us all throughout the book, that Christ is the lamb who was slain. So in other words, this victory was accomplished, right? By him being the crucified Christ, not by him fighting and getting and, he, and uh, somebody making him leak. No, like this is through him being the crucified Christ. And his name is called the word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on the white horses and were wearing pure white linen. So this is that uh, purity thing. A sharp sword, hear this, verse 15, came from his mouth so that he may strike the nations with it. Now, listen, Christ is not coming to fight people with like physical fighting like we like humans do. He is coming with his word and his word has the power to bring people to life and to put people to death. Right. Christ is coming with his word and it talks about how um at the end it says uh in verse 19 it says then i saw the beast uh the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army but the beast was taken prisoner and along with it the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence he deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image with these signs so again the people who side with satan are actually the ones who get deceived both of them hear this were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So you see the end, right? You see this judgment upon Satan and all those who join sides with the forces of darkness, those who participate in the evils and monstrosities of societies and never come to repentance are overdone by those same evils and uh, atrocities that they commit. In chapter 20, we end this point. And we come to one of the most debated chapters in the book of Revelation. I am definitely not the guy to give you the authoritative interpretation of this text. However, I will just uh, pull out what I, what I believe is clear. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven and holding the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, closed it and put a seal on it. Hear this so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. Now, differing views on this passage, and this is where the premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism all come into play, right? What what succeeds in this chapter, uh, three different like kind of schools historically. I mean, there's been offshoots and, and more nuance and more overlap, you know, I think uh, recently, but recently being the last few decades, actually. Um, but historically, like these have been the three schools, you know, postmillennialism or, or premillennialism would say that Christ's second coming precedes the millennial reign described here. Right. Uh, postmillennialism would say Christ's coming exceeds or comes after the reigning of Christians on the earth for a thousand years. So you see the pre I come pre the millennial reign or post I come post millennial reign. Right. 
amillennialism, which where I was where I would fall, and uh, um, yeah, people who train me uh, will fall. I think, um, yeah, most of them. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I would say that we are in the millennial period right now, and when Christ comes again, He will bring the new heavens and new earth. Right. So some people are saying like, hey, essentially, what you have to say, like, to have the other views that Christ kind of comes twice, right? Um, and what I'm saying is, no, he comes once, right? And it's uh, it's a, probably another podcast to kind of divulge and get into each view and exegetically where they kind of land the plane. However, um, yeah, I just want to say, like, I, I think what he's saying here is that Satan was bound at the resurrection of Christ. He is not deceiving the nations right now. Why? Because the nations are coming in via the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles are the nations. That's the same word, right? And uh, we see that in Book of Acts and all throughout the New Testament. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, right? That The, the Gentiles are coming in. However, this, and, and, or furthermore, right, this millennium is not a literal 1,000 years, right? We are reigning with Christ now spiritually. But again, um, fully one day we will. Um, and I think many New Testament passages say that we share in the rule and reign of the Messiah. I think Romans chapter 5 uh, through 8 uh, really gets at that clearly. Uh, by the power of the Spirit, we are, we are, we are ruling and reigning, reigning with him, resurrected already. Um, and yeah, many people agree with me who are smart uh, in church history. However, um, yeah, so 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 what's interesting is that um, in 19, 11 through uh, uh, 21, we have this defeat. And then after that, 11 through the end of chapter 20, we have the defeat of Satan as well. And uh, in the middle, though, like we have something that is uh, clear that, that, that the saints are being vindicated, right? Like, as we said before, the saints are being vindicated. And as he moves towards the end, he says this, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, remember, he was thrown into the lake of fire in chapter 19. So it's the same event being casted in 1911 to 21 and in the back half of chapter uh, 20 here. Um, it says, uh, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, right? Where the beast and the false prophets are, and they will be tormented day and night forever, ever. Right. It says, uh, at the end of 14, it says, um, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire as well. Right. This is the second death, the lake of fire. It's interesting that again, listen, Satan will not just be destroyed. Um, our enemies, right. Will not just be destroyed devil's angels right will not just be destroyed death itself will be destroyed right the gospel is a victory over all of those things and the final one to be put away is death listen we were made to live forever right we were made to live forever and we know it deep down in our souls and we try to do it through uh, futile and fallacious means, right? We try to erect statues of people so that they can keep living. We try to pass down our name, right? So that we can keep living. We try to uh, create things in the world in the world that will outlive us. And all, all of those things aren't bad necessarily. Statues are kind of weird. Anyway, um, but what God is saying <laughs> is that there is one way. There is one way to have eternal life, right? And um, death, man, like all of the other bad things, the, 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 the terrible things that enter creation, right, uh, will one day exit, right? And death itself is the last one, right? And the eternal life that God wants to offer you can only come through his son. I think this is what John is trying to say, man. And again, it goes back to the simple truth of John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whoever shall believe in him will have eternal life, right? The message of the gospel is so simple and yet so profound and so deep. And it's taken us almost a year to just only scratch the surface and make it through the Bible. This is the hope in which we stand. And I pray that this will be the hope that you carry with you until you see the one who gave it to you. Let's pray. God, we ask that you will give us hope today. Uh, in the reminder that we have eternal life. Thank you, God, for your mercy.